Church, join with me as we pray to our Heavenly Father this morning. Father God, we want to thank you so much for your word. The word that reveals our hearts, the word that pierces through our flesh, that turns our hearts towards loving and treasuring you even more. Father, we know that our hearts can be distracted, our hearts can be burdened. But Lord, we ask today that through your spirit, you may direct all our attention and focus on hearing your word, to listen, to soak in, and to allow your word to open up our hearts so that we may see Jesus as supreme and sufficient in our lives. We ask all of this in his name. Amen. Now, I'm not too sure how many of you guys are into music, but even if you're not, you would be familiar with the name Madonna, right? Back in the 80s, and some of you guys weren't even born yet, but back in the 80s, she was really popular, she was successful, you know, queen of pop, topped music charts, rich, famous, successful, confident, all of these things you can say about Madonna. And one can argue that she is actually one of the most hardworking celebrities altogether, because Madonna right now is around 64, and she's still producing a lot of music as well, and you will be able to find that on YouTube. But it's very interesting that even though she's working really hard, some would actually accuse her of working a bit too hard. I was reading some of the articles uh, about Madonna recently, and they actually call her out for being a tryhard. You know, trying so hard to stay popular, trying so hard to stay relevant. You know, she's always trying to reinvent herself in the way uh, in the way that she looks, in the way that she acts, and it just doesn't land, it doesn't stick. You know, just stop, it's not working, give up. Now, that's the general vibe of all the news about Madonna nowadays. But here's the thing, it doesn't necessarily stop her from trying. And so we've got to ask, like, what, what exactly drives Madonna? Let me share a quote from an interview earlier in her career. Here's what she said, I have an iron will, And all my will has always been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. I'm always struggling with that fear. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being. And then I get to another stage and think I'm mediocre and uninteresting. And then she ends with this. Even though I become somebody, I still have to prove that I'm somebody. My struggle has never ended and it probably never will. That is the secret as to why Madonna works so hard. What drove her all these years, and perhaps even now, what drove her was insecurity. It was insecurity about her worth. It's insecurity about her acceptance. And the way that she's trying to save herself from that insecurity is by working harder to stay relevant. And it's sad. It's really sad to see, but at the same time, it's scary Because this actually exposes, this reveals what you and I may experience on a daily, right? Whether or not you're young and old in this room, most of us would have struggled with that feeling of being insecure about our worth. That feeling of not being accepted. And the way that we try to deal with that insecurity is by trying harder to meet a standard, to meet some sort of expectation, right? It may mean being more successful and more popular in a way to meet that standard. It, it may mean living in a way that meets people's approval wherever you go. And even for religious people, for Christians, it may mean actually doing our best to follow some sort of spiritual or religious code or law. 
And all of these things, all of these things that we work so hard to do, to the expectations that we meet, it becomes a way for us to save ourselves. It becomes a way for us to deal with our own insecurity. And the problem is, is that it's too fragile, right? Because all it takes is one mess up, one slip up, and then our confidence shatters like glass. The feeling of insecurity, the feeling that we're trying to rescue ourselves from, it comes back. It comes back when we don't measure up. It comes back when we fail. And, you know, like some of us here might actually do really, really well. And there are seasons where we're doing everything perfectly. But then there's always that still small voice at the back of your head, isn't there? That small voice that, tell, that asks, right? That annoying voice that says, are you sure you've done enough? How can you be sure? How can you be certain that you've done enough? So what's the solution? How can we deal with our insecurity, right? Like, and can the law, can the expectations actually deal with our insecurity? And today's passage, we will actually find the answer. We are looking at Romans chapter 7, and we'll see that in order to deal with our insecurity, the Bible does three things. You see that in your outline, in your bulletins, and it does three things. Firstly, it confirms our release from the law. Secondly, it cuts our reliance from the law. And thirdly, it corrects our response to the law. So it confirms our release, it cuts our reliance, and it corrects our response. And my prayer is that we can embrace the answer to our insecurity. The answer is to know that we've been freed from the law in order to love the Lord. That we've been freed from the law in order to love the Lord. So come with me to our first point. Uh, as we confirm, uh, sorry, as we come to Romans chapter 7, Paul actually continues to deal with the argument regarding the place of God's law. You know, the Bible tells us that one day everyone, every single person, will stand before God and will face his judgment. We'll hear the verdict as to whether or not we are accepted by him or we will be rejected by him. And the question for Christians, or perhaps, oh, like Christians in Rome, but perhaps even now as well, is that. In order for me to be accepted by God, in order for God to receive me, can my obedience to the law get me accepted? Can my obedience to everything God has commanded me to do, can that win God's approval? And so from chapter 2 all the way to chapter 7, we are told that as Christians, it doesn't work. Because our relationship with the law has changed. We're no longer under the rule of the law. Because the law is not meant to be the means through which people are accepted by God. Look at your Bibles, right? Like Paul, in verses 2 to 3, Paul uses the image of a marriage to show this, right? Verses 2 to 3 in your Bibles. Within a marriage, while a husband is still alive, his wife must stay faithful to him, right? But when he dies, the relationship ends. There is like there's a ceasing of their influence. And so the wife, now that she's free, she's free to belong to someone else. She's free to belong to another husband. Likewise, as Christians, our relationship with the Lord has changed. We have, as verse 4 puts it, we've died to the Lord. Whatever you want to call it, a spiritual breakup, a spiritual divorce, whatever you want to call it, it there is a change in that relationship. We are done with the law. We're done 
with using the law to try and earn our acceptance, to try to prove our worth to God. There is freedom now. We're free from the law. We're free from this thing that we use to try to prove our worth. And we're free to now belong to Jesus. We're free to belong to Him in a new, much more intimate, much more loving relationship. That's what the Bible says. And you can tell, probably by reading the verses, is that this idea of a breakup, a divorce, or like a change in relationship with the law, it doesn't sit well with the Jews. And perhaps for us, it shouldn't sit well with us as well. Now, for the Jews, the reason why it doesn't sit well with them is because the law of God is quite central to their way of living. God gave them the law. It's a sign of his relationship with them. It's a sign of his favor to them, his kindness. And it sets them apart from every other group in the world. And in fact, obedience to it actually secures God's blessing. That's why the law is so important to the Jews. And so for the Jews, the answer to how someone is saved, that should be based on their religious performance. It should be based on how well they perform in matching to God's law. And so, if we're honest, we, it makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? You know, like, a lot of you guys work, right? None of you guys get into the job that you're currently in without meeting some sort of expectation, right? Or for those of you who are, like, dating or married, none of you guys get into a relationship or get married without meeting some sort of expectation from your spouse or your partner. It makes sense. You know, if someone wants to be accepted by God, isn't that the same? Wouldn't we, isn't it about being good enough? Isn't it important that we meet his standards, that we meet some sort of expectation in order for us to be saved? This is why Paul's statement would have come as a bit of a shock. Not only is he saying that we're not saved by meeting expectations, but Paul seems to be implying something. He might be implying, or he seems to be implying and suggesting that these standards and expectations make people worse. I mean, look at verse 5. Like, turn over your Bibles and look at verse 5 with me, right? Verse 5 reads, For when we are in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us, so that we bore fruit for death. It seems that the poor is actually accusing the law of God for being responsible for evil. That's what he's saying, is he? What is Paul doing here? It's important for us to come to point two. Because a lot of people assume that Paul is actually saying that we should get rid of like God's law altogether. We should get rid of all religious expectations. We get rid of all standards. That's the point. That's what it means to be saved by grace, right? But Paul actually makes his position about the law very clear. Verse 7 right? Paul makes two points. Firstly, the law of God is good. The standards and expectations of God are in fact quite important because the law shows us what it means to love God and love others. That's what the law does. And we can see that in verse 7. Paul says, he would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. But here's the thing, right? Secondly, the law is good, but it cannot get us accepted. Verse 8, But sin seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment produced in me every kind of coveting. In other words, Paul is trying to say, our law-keeping, our performance record, our attempts to meet that standard, it cannot save us. 
because the sin in the human heart, what it does to law is it twists the law and it uses, to produce, uh, uses the law to produce more evil in us. Now, here's the thing. Like, let us do like, a little bit of thought experiment, right? Have you ever realized that when someone tells you not to do something, it, makes, it gives you the urge to want to do it more, right? So I remember back when I first came to Australia. So I, I wasn't born here. I came to Australia in 2009 to study. And before I came to Australia, my mom sat Harriet and I down. And basically, she um, sat us down and she wanted to like, give us a bit of a pep talk before we moved to this like, new country, right? And so... You know, like she told me that whatever we decide to do is like Harriet, Clement, whatever you guys decide to do, there are five things that you shouldn't do. You know, like the Bible has ten commandments, we have five. Okay? Five commandments, okay? So here are the five commandments. Firstly, don't drink. Second commandment, don't smoke cigarettes. Thirdly, don't take drugs. Fourth, don't sleep over at someone's house. And last but not least, don't have a girlfriend and boyfriend till you get married. Right? Five commandments. And you know what? I did three of the five things that she told me not to do. I did three of the five things. Because here's the thing. In my heart, and perhaps in everybody's heart, being told not to do something gave me a stronger urge to do it. You know? And here's the thing. From my mom's perspective, these things are good. And you, you can see it, right? Like, you know, don't smoke, don't gamble, whatever it may be. Like, it, it's, it's a good thing. But I didn't see these commandments as a good thing. I saw it as oppressive. I saw it as controlling. You know, take the last commandment, for example. Don't have a girlfriend until I get married. What? And miss out on having true love? Like, what, what is this? Why is my mom trying to withhold something good from me? And we see that pattern play out in the Old Testament, right? Like, think back to Genesis 3, Adam and Eve, right? If you read it, how many commandments did God give them? One. You have... All the trees in the Garden of Eden, you have access to everything but one tree. Do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Just one commandment, one simple commandment. And why did God give them that commandment? Because it was good for them. That commandment was given so that they can learn to trust in God, to trust in His promises, to trust that He is good for them. Yet Adam and Eve did not see it that way. Being tricked by Satan and being influenced by their own desires, they saw that, or at least what they thought they saw, was that God was holding something from them, is holding good from them. Church, this is what sin does. This is what Paul means when the law deceives us. Sin takes advantage of the law. It hijacks a moral standard, an expectation, and it tricks us into thinking that the holy God who gave it, he's trying to take away something good from us. That is what our sin does. And Paul makes it very clear in verse 11. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me, and through the commandment put me to death. You know, like rebellious kids, and some of you guys, uh, parents have kids, you know. You know, we go against God's commandments. You know, we break our relationship with Him, and as a result, we fall under the reign and the weight of His judgment. That is why it's so important to get Paul's message right, because Paul is saying, the Bible is saying, that even if you try to earn your acceptance by the law, 
even if you try to earn it by like seeking approval or by like measuring it up, it doesn't change anything. The law can't deal with your actions. Uh, sorry, the law can deal with your actions per se, but it can't deal with what is in you. The heart that desires to live life your own way and the heart that desires to go against God. And so Paul's point, summed up, the law isn't the problem. Religious expectations, rules, that isn't the problem. The problem is with us. We are the problem. And so friends, that's why it's important for us to recognize this because some of you guys have been in church longer than I have. And even though the Bible tells us that we've been freed from the Lord, that we've been free by the grace of God, we often fall into that habit of trying harder and harder, even more, right? Dress up a certain way, act a certain way. We try our best to try and follow the Lord to earn God's approval. And we keep on doing this. We keep on feeling as though we are secure in our identity as Christians based on our performance. Why is that? Because deep down we're insecure. Like Madonna, we too feel mediocre, unworthy. And so we try our best to save ourselves from that insecurity, don't we? We try our best to do, uh, hide the fact that we're insecure by trying harder to be good. To try harder to meet some sort of standard or expectations. You know, like be the best person you can ever be. Stick to your devotions. Go to church. Have a per- perfect uh, attendance record. Follow the sacraments. You know, don't watch porn. Don't drink alcohol. Like, you know, give to the church. Doing all these things. We make it all about our performance. In order to prove that we are good, that we are acceptable, that we are worthy, that we deserve to be saved. We turn to our performance to save us from our insecurity. And the Bible makes it very, very clear that it will not work. Why? Because the law is not the problem, but it's our insecurity that twists the law. We make it about us. The law is meant to teach us how to love God. The law is meant to teach us how to love each other, but our insecurity makes it all about ourselves, right? And how do we know that we've done this? It's actually expressed in the way that we treat others. You know, how many of us have actually fallen into the sin of comparison? You know, like we feel, we feel good when we have someone to compare ourselves with and we say, oh, I'm doing better, I'm doing good because look at this person. Or we, we feel bad whenever we see someone doing better than us, right? Or doesn't it make us jealous, you know, when someone gets recognized and accepted and we're not recognized and accepted? And isn't that why we use the law sometimes to tear people down? to say, this person is not worthy because they've never measured up to the expectations of our church. Friends, we're all guilty of this. I'm guilty of this as well. And if that is you, I want you to hear this loud and clear. Religious or non-religious, Christian or non-Christian, using the law to save yourself is like using oil to put up a fire. Just as oil makes the flames worse, using the law to get accepted, it actually produces more evil in us and makes us even less acceptable before God. So what, is, what hope is there? What, what, what hope is there for a person then? 
Because if you're someone who hopes that God will accept you by being good, by, perform, by your performance, the law will drain you of that hope. You will not measure up. And you know what, friends? That is a good place to be at. Because the law drains us of our hope so that we can actually anchor in a better hope. We didn't read out this verse, but open up your Bibles and focus on verse 25. After Paul recognizes this, after Paul asks what hope is there, he says this, Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Here's the answer to our insecurity. The way that we deal with our insecurity is not by trying harder. The way we deal with our insecurity is to know that we are loved. To know that we are accepted and loved and that nothing can make us feel insecure as a result. And friends, that love is found in Jesus. Why is that? Because the Bible makes it very clear that God is not standing afar and waiting for you to meet his expectations. He's not standing there, arms crossed and watching, oh, here you go again. What a failure. I'm not going to accept you until you crawl and beg for my mercy. No, he doesn't stand afar. He actually comes to you Through Jesus, he comes to you and instead of expecting you to meet his expectations, he meets them on your behalf. The standards that he's laid on the world, he meets them in your place. He meets the standards that you and I have failed to meet and he paid for the consequences of you and I failing as well. He did this so that when you trust in him, you can be free from the law Free from the law that tells you you need to perform, and you're free to belong to Him in a secure, loving, and intimate relationship. And so what we need to realize, church, is that when we choose between the law and when we choose between Jesus as well, we're actually, it's sort of like choosing between two marriages. Under the law, we have a husband who tells us to meet his expectations before loving us, but under Christ, we have a husband who loves us before we even met his expectations. The law says, you know, perform or I'll throw you away. Jesus says, I was thrown away so that you don't have to perform. In our marriage with the law, we are given anything as long as we can earn it. But under Christ, in our marriage with Christ, we are given everything that he has earned. Honor, glory, and eternal life. Friends, this is the secret to dealing with our insecurity. Knowing that the cross of Jesus has freed us from having to prove our worth by working harder. Jesus has freed us from our insecurity by bringing us into a relationship. A relationship where we're not loved based on our performance. And that is the assurance, that is the security that no one can ever take away from you. Not even the church. Come with me to our final point. Because before we move on, I want to make it very clear that I'm not saying that the law disappears. We're not throwing the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak. Because one of the most dangerous things that you can say is that, you know, like, and we hear this nowadays in our culture, God is a God of love. If God is a God of love, that means you can do whatever you want. You can live however you want. No, that's not the case. There are still expectations for you to be a good husband, a good wife, a faithful worker, a faithful friend, child, parent, whatever it may be. There are still expectations. 
And even with the way that we worship God, God still expects us to worship Him rightly. We can't just worship Him however we want. But there are two amazing things that this truth changes. Two things. Firstly, when it comes to God's law, it changes our motivations, right? Ask anyone who is married in this room. You know, they probably would have experienced that at some point. You know, they like new, new couples. I think like some of you guys are like married or recently married or about to get married. You know, like when you talk, talk to people about that you're going to, uh, you said that you're going to get married soon, like there are two things that they say, right? Firstly, it's like, oh, congratulations. And the second thing that they say is, Why? Actually, I don't get that much. My wife gets that a lot. Yeah, like, why? Like, why? Like, they always, like, say to her, right? Like, Beck, like, why would you get married? You're so young. You're so pretty. You know, you've got your whole life ahead of you. Your husband's so short. Like, why? 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 Right? Because, and here's the thing, right? And you can understand why they're saying that. Because when you're married, you just, you can't live life however you want. You're now bound to another person. You're bound to their expectations. You lose your freedom. My wife had to make the greatest sacrifice of all. She can no longer wear high heels whenever I'm around her. Right? That's a sacrifice. She has to meet my expectations because I'm insecure. But here's the thing. When you deeply love someone, the motivations for obeying their expectations, obeying their expectations, it changes. You don't see their expectations as a burden now. You actually see their expectations as an opportunity to love them, as an opportunity to show them how much you care, to make them smile, to make them feel loved. You know, the expectations of someone that we don't care about, yeah, it's a, it's a burden to be sure. But when it comes to the people we love, not just uh, in marriage, but with our friends, with our parents, with our children. When it comes to the people we love, their expectations no longer turn into the burden. It turns into an opportunity for us to make them happy. And you do it because you want to do it, not because you're trying to get something in return. Friends, isn't that the same with God? God's laws do not disappear. He still has expectations on you, but here's the thing. When we're already fully accepted by God and when we truly love Him, then our response to His law changes. You know, spending time with Him in His Word stops becoming a chore, right? Praying to Him becomes less of a burden. Coming to church becomes something that you look forward to. Giving to the church, even at a cost to yourself, it becomes a joy. Why? Because you're no longer doing that to actually earn something. You're no longer doing that just to prove something. But you're doing that out of a love for God. Out of a love for the God who saved you before you even met His expectations. And so obeying Him, church, it only becomes an opportunity to show your thankfulness and love to the one who showed us grace. And secondly, when it comes to facing God's law, it changes our response when we fail. Because you and I know that, like, today, Sunday, you heard this message, you're like, oh, I'm saved by grace, and I'm not saved by my works. You walk into your Monday, and you're still facing that boss who tells you that you have failed his expectations. Your parents might tell you that you are still a failure of a child. Um, your, um, you know, the, your spouse would tell you, hey, honey, you didn't take out, the dish, uh, take out the rubbish and all that. You would still fail. 
you will fail in one point or another. And, and it's natural. We will fail. We are flawed. But here's the thing. When you truly know that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, your worth is secure. And a deeply secure person is transformed in the way that they face their failures. Right? You will no longer have to live by people's acceptance or you no longer need to die by the rejections either. You will no longer feel bad if someone don't recognize you or appreciate you. And even when someone raises a concern about your behavior or your character, and you know sometimes they do it rightly or wrongly, whatever it may be, your security in Christ means that you no longer need to feel defensive. You no longer need to try to downplay it or like you no longer need to prove yourself, but you can actually openly admit your role in the act or you, you can admit your weakness. So you see, church, like, it's not that the Lord changes or the Lord disappears per se, but it's actually your response to the Lord that changes. Because when you fail, instead of insecurity, there will be confidence a deep confidence that can only come if you know that you belong to Jesus. Knowing that the great lengths in Jesus went to make you his, only that will free you from that insecurity that you've been battling all this time. And so to conclude, church, your successes and your failures, they do not define you anymore. Past, present, future. If the God of the universe loves you and accepts you, then we do not need to respond to the law as a means of trying to prove ourselves or to save ourselves. We are now free to respond to God's law out of love, as a way of showing our love for God. Now, if you're someone who's visiting us today, and if you're someone who has yet to come to know Jesus, I want to say welcome, welcome to Grace Point. And I want to say that the security is for you as well. When you trust in Jesus, Because all of us, we have two choices to make. One, in order to find your security, you can either bank on your performance. You know, you can hold up your list, your resume that you've been like secretly uh, tucking away in your belt. And you can say, oh, I, I think I've been a good person all my life. I haven't done anything like too crazy. My, I should be accepted by God based on my performance, right? But here's the thing. You can look at that list. And that list is not going to allow you to find security. Because you're never going to measure up. You're never going to be able to have the assurance that you've done enough to be accepted. And so you have this first choice. The choice to bank on your performance. Or you can bank on Jesus' love for you. You can actually say to yourself, you know what, that list that I got, the list of all the things I've done, garbage. The God of the universe loved me so much that he sent his son to die in my place so that I can be free to belong to him. And if that's the case, why do I still find myself trying so hard to prove my worth? He loves me. He loves me so much. It can never be taken away from me. And so those are the two choices, my friends. And realize this. When you do trust in Jesus, when you do come to know him, you will no longer need to feel insecure because through the gospel, we've been freed from the law in order to love the Lord. Join with me in prayer. 
Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much that, Father, we can come to you not on the basis of our performance, not on the basis of our works. Lord, there are many times that we feel as though the only way that we can prove our worth to you, to prove our worth to everybody else, is to try to work harder, to meet some sort of standard expectation. But, Father, praise be to you that you have revealed in your scriptures that ultimately you love us. And that is the secret to freeing us from our insecurity. That we've been freed from the Lord. We've been freed from trying to earn our acceptance through the Lord. And we've been freed to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So, Father, may this be a balm to those who are feeling insecure today. Those who are self-sufficient, who try to prove themselves by their own works. Free us, Lord, and allow us to rejoice that our Lord Jesus Christ loved us so much that he came to live the life we couldn't live and die the death that we deserve so that we are free to treasure him and to love others above all else. Father, we thank you so much for this great news of salvation. We pray, Lord, that you may soften our hearts and allow us to respond to you. Seal these truths into our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.